Good morning, friends, and welcome again to The Digital Gathering. My name is Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here at Discovery. Hey, before we get to the teaching, I did want to pause for a moment and pray for our country in light of the events that have gone on over the past week. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, like, why are we talking about this? Or, or maybe you just feel oversaturated with the conversation about politics in our country. And I get that, but I want to start here because I think that ignoring this and silence about these things that have been happening, not just this last week, but for the last several years now, is part of what's contributed to what's brought us to this point. I think silence over spiritualizing these things is a big part of the problem. Now, the events of this week, though shocking, I think are the inevitable outcome of some very old entrenchments and divisions in our country. Things like white nationalism, American exceptionalism, the uh, uh, allure of conspiracy theories, the evil ways in which Christianity has gotten mixed into all of that contribute to what we see going down. And what is <clears throat> uh, troubling to me is the ways in which the church has gotten mixed up in all of this and the tremendous hit that the church has taken because of all of this madness that's going on in our country right now. The church has not been the countercultural demonstration of shalom that we are called to be. And that breaks my heart. Now, for us here at Discovery in Davis, we are not going to be able to fix all that has been broken. And, and just thinking about even humanity as a whole, we don't bring the full redemption of creation. Jesus does. However, that does not let us off the hook. That does not give us an excuse to check out or look the other way. No, as a community, in this place, during this time, we pray, we serve, we stand and fight for justice and righteousness. We tell the Jesus story over and over again. We love, we disciple, we invite people into this adventure called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of right relationships, and we contend for renewal. We must be a part of telling a different story because our world desperately needs to see a tangible demonstration of a different way to be. Are you with me? Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather today in this strange way online during the middle of a pandemic, and yet we do gather to proclaim that you are our Lord and Savior. You are Lord over our lives, over our country, over this world. And God, in the, the traditional church calendar today, it is a day where Christians typically uh, remember and reflect on the event of Jesus being baptized. And it's immediately after his baptism that you affirm his sonship, but then also he heads out into the wilderness where he's tempted. Uh, tempted by the devil to rule all the kingdoms of the earth uh, as an earthly king. 
the seduction of power, the seduction of politics that Jesus was faced with in that moment, and he, uh, he rejected it. And so, Father, as we think about Jesus as our example in this way, may we also reject the temptation, the seduction of political power. Would we follow our King, our Lord Jesus, in His way of sacrifice, of laying his life down, of being broken and poured out for the good of the world. God, we repent of the ways that we get caught up in these evil systems of our world. The powers and principalities of our day that again can be so seductive and enticing to us. We repent of the ways that we have been involved in that and we commit a new to pursuing shalom, to pursuing your kingdom, and to living under the kingship of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his powerful name this morning. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible today, meet me in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and then uh, we're going to talk about our next practice. We continue today our practice conversation, and, uh, and then we're going to come back to this text here in just a few moments. So we're looking at chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, where we read this. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Again, we'll come back to those words here in just a moment. But as we get into this, I just want to begin by saying thank you to David for, uh, for leading us and teaching us last week. Did a great job uh, with his first opportunity uh, to teach us in a digital gathering. David invited us to think about our rhythms as we begin a new year together. Now, personally, I'm not always a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but I do love goals and goal setting. And so I appreciate how, you know, a new year gives us sort of a, a clean slate, an opportunity to set some new goals. And what I loved about David's teaching was his challenge to us to think about rhythms or resolutions as a means to orient us around God and God's shalom. Right, his dream for humanity. This is so countercultural because New Year's resolutions often are very self-focused. How are we going to get in better shape or eat differently or, or whatever those goals might be? Now, those things aren't necessarily bad, right? And it might be a great time to cut some stuff out or to form some new habits, whatever those might be. I encourage you to go for it. But I love David's invitation to say yes to rhythms that orient us towards who God is and what he is doing in the world. This is in large part why this conversation about practices is so important to who we are as a community. We place a very high value on the practices or what are sometimes called spiritual disciplines. Practices are rhythms that people have turned to for thousands of years now 
to be formed into the ways of Jesus, into the life, the abundant eternal life that he offers us. Through the practices, we orient ourselves to God and his purposes. We tune our radars to his movements. We participate in the abundant life that he gives us. Now, we as a community embarked on this journey a year ago. This, this month, last year, is when we started the practices conversations. And who knew just how important and vital they would be? As our world got turned upside down by a pandemic and so many other things, as we begin a new year, I am more convinced than ever that we need these disciplines. We need these practices as we move through chaos as we move through tumultuous times, as we move through big questions about meaning and being, the practices ground us in our relationship with God in the life that Jesus offers. Now, Jesus says this. This has been kind of our foundational text for this endeavor. Jesus says, everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell and was completely destroyed. Now, there's an element of this that, if we're not careful, can sound a little bit uh, like performance, right? Like we have to do these things, obey God in order to make him happy with us. I want to be very clear about this as we renew our practices for this year. Jesus is inviting us into a way of life, not a system of rules. Jesus is inviting us to be formed, not to perform. Are you with me? Now, later in Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. Anybody feel that right now? And I will give you rest, he says. Put on my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for yourselves or rest for your souls, as it says in some translations. My yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. The invitation of the practices is not to pious religious duty or to burdensome activity to please a grumpy God. They are this gentle and humble invitation to a more human, a more connected, to a deeply relational way of living in tune with our Creator, God. And there is great joy. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, there is great joy in living in alignment with God. So, discovery, this is our ongoing quest. Today, we wrap up our first cycle through the practices, and then throughout this coming year, we're going to revisit each practice Again, and I look forward to being able to, to talk about this, process this again, and even see what we've either learned or need to revisit as we go through the cycle one more time. But again, today, to wrap it all up, we're considering the practice of reading Scripture, or what we are simply calling reading. 
So in the time that remains here, I am not going to offer a comprehensive theological treatise on Scripture, what it is and how it works. I simply want to give us a foundation for reading the Bible as a formative practice to help fuel our imaginations. And then I also want to invite us into some new rhythms of reading for this new year. So let's begin with a very classic text, a very classic passage, Scripture speaking about Scripture. This is from a, a New Testament letter where we read, Every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training characters, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. A couple of things that we see from this passage. The first is this. Scripture is worth submitting to. Scripture is worth submitting to. There's wisdom, there's guidance, authority, and truth in this thing called the Bible. Scripture shapes our lives towards what is good, right? Everything good, in fact, is what it says. Shapes our lives towards shalom. Second thing here is that we see Scripture is not just for knowledge, for, for sort of this intellectual learning. It is for living. Now, certainly there's intellectual learning to be done, but this book is meant to be lived out in our real, everyday lives. Eugene Peterson says that a lot of our Bible study is gossiping about God. <laughs> Just a bunch of empty talk, but no real engagement with God, with life itself. Scripture is to be lived, not just read about, not just talked about, not gossiped about. It is to be lived. Now let's move to another part of Scripture. Psalm 119, which we read a little bit of earlier, is in the Old Testament. It's a very, very long poem, longest of all the Psalms. And the general theme of the whole thing is just the awesomeness of Scripture. Now the writer of this Psalm is referring here specifically to what is called the Torah, or what would be our first five books of the Bible. But even within that, uh, sort of limitation, what comes across very clearly as you read this psalm is joy. Just a couple quick, quick verses from it. I rejoice in the content of your laws as if I were rejoicing over great wealth. I will think about your precepts and examine all your paths. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget what you have said. So we don't just read for pragmatic reasons, we read for delight. We read for delight. What an honor, what a joy that God would communicate with us in this way through this huge, messy, fascinating collection of books. And then fourth, we read Scripture because it points us to Jesus. Now, the Bible is, is this complex library of 66 different books, but they all tell the comprehensive story of God's redemptive work in the world, work that he accomplishes through his son, Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. That story 
even with all the twists and turns, it always leads us back to Jesus. Now, here's a very important distinction, a, a distinction that Jesus himself makes. John chapter 5, he's having an interaction with some religious leaders of his day. He says, you study the scriptures diligently. That sounds like a compliment, right? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus, again, speaking to some very conservative religious folks who are studying the scriptures diligently, but they're running the risk of worshiping the scriptures more than God. They're so stuck in their Bibles that they cannot see Jesus standing right in front of them. And I fear that this is where a lot of church people are today. We are so into our Bibles and our Bible study that we miss the presence of Jesus right in front of us. When we make our reading of scripture about systematic theology, or when we use it to prop up our political positions, or we go the other direction and we just reduce it to a bunch of sentimental, devotional thoughts that, that uh, you, know, you can post on social media or whatever. When we make it about anything other than Jesus, we miss the point. We miss, Jesus says, the life. Now here at Discovery, we hold a deep appreciation and reverence for Scripture. Again, it is a text worth submitting to. But friends, we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus, the risen Lord and Savior, Son of God, second person of the Trinity, who Scripture describes as the Word of God. We worship Jesus, not a book. I want to contrast what Jesus says to those leaders in John 5 with what Peter says to Jesus in the very next chapter. Jesus gives a hard teaching. And a lot of people leave because they don't like what he has to say. And Jesus asks his disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the word. You are the one who brings life. So we read scripture because it points us towards the good news that we have in Jesus. It leads us to him. And through him, we have abundant, eternal life. Now, speaking of John, John is the one who uh, is, is at the center of the scene that we read earlier in Revelation chapter 10. This is much later in John's life. He's been exiled by the Roman Empire to an island called Patmos. Now, interestingly enough, on this island, John's still able to care for people. He's pastoring several churches that are being persecuted by Roman oppressors. And this book that he writes is very confusing, right? There's a lot of things in the book of Revelation that are hard for us to understand. But in this scene, he's about to be given another message to share with his marginalized, persecuted friends. And so in preparation for delivering that message, the angel tells him not to take a look at a scroll or whatever. He, he tells him to eat the scroll, right? Eat this book. Get it inside of you. 
And I think this gives us a picture, a perfect metaphor for the practice of reading Scripture. As we've said before, we don't read it simply to learn more or to become better educated Christians. We consume this book. We eat this book so that the words and stories and poems and truths get inside of us and become us. They become our story. We read to be formed. We eat this book. Now, how do we do this? What does it look like to eat Scripture? Taking this sort of strange metaphor and putting it into practice. I want to give us three ways to engage with this practice. We also have, as we do with each of these practices, a resource called Practice the Practice. And you can find that on the app or website. And uh, as uh, they'll have more um, uh, exercises and things for you to do than what we'll talk about now. But my challenge to you is, as you reflect on what I'm about to share and as you go through that resource, either individually or with a group, my challenge to you is to pick one of, these, uh, one of these methods that you are not super familiar with, maybe one that's new to you, you've never tried it before, and make that your rhythm, at least for the first part of this year. Don't just settle back into what you've always done. Now, the first of the three methods is what uh, is typically called or often called the inductive method of reading scripture. I highly recommend this if you are new to the Bible. Okay, if you are uh, someone who maybe hasn't spent a lot of time reading the Bible, that's great. This is a wonderful place to start. I would encourage you to begin with a gospel with some of the stories about Jesus and then follow this very simple three-part process. First part is this, begin with observations. Ask the question, what's, what's there? What, what do I see? What do I notice? It's very simple, straightforward observations. My, uh, my very first class in seminary, we had to read Genesis 1, and we had to do this assignment where we wrote down 100 observations. No interpretation, insight, meaning, anything like that. Just what are 100 things we observe about that? We all did the assignment, turned it in. Our professor gave it back. Everybody in the class got a C or worse. And his comment on every single assignment was, you could have made 400 more observations. So that was all kind of for show and to drill the idea into us, but the point is clear, right? There's always more to notice. We begin by observing, then we move to interpretation, asking the question, okay, well, what does it mean? I have all these things that I've observed. What do these things mean? Ask good questions of Scripture and see where it takes you. Then finally, apply. What does it mean to me, what do I need to do in response to this? Do, do I need to change my thinking? Do I need to change my behavior? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to share what I've just learned? How can I live this story out? Now, our second reading practice is about getting into the flow of the big story that Scripture tells, reading through large chunks of text in order to get a feel for the movements of redemption. One of the best ways to do this is by reading through the Bible chronologically. There's a lot of different plans that you can find uh, out there. We have one on our app that can be done in six months and it starts from the beginning tomorrow. This is one of our big projects as a community, to be story-formed people, to have story-formed imaginations 
and chronological reading so helpful for this formation. Finally, the, the last method, there's a beautiful way of reading scripture called Lectio Divina, or divine reading. Lectio involves reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation on a small chunk of scripture. And the analogy that I, I like to use about this method is, is this. Sometimes when we go visit a new place, we, we, you know, new city, we go and we hit all the highlights, right? All the tourist spots, all, all the big things that you got to see. And we just kind of blast our way through all those different things. That's a lot like the inductive method of studying scripture. But another way to get to know a city is just to pick one spot. Maybe you sit at a cafe outdoors or you find a park and you just stay in that place over the course of the day and you watch the people come and go and you observe what's happening and, and when there's busy times and slower times and loud times and quiet times and you just kind of soak in that one spot and you can get to know a city in a particular way by doing that versus going around and hitting all of the hot spots. Lectio Divina is a lot more like that second way of getting to know a place. In Lectio, we linger over a passage of scripture. We allow the words to get inside of us. We create some time and space for God to speak to us through those words. Now in groups this week, we are going to do a Lectio exercise, and then we're also gonna offer a five-week group, a contemplative group that will go through this, and that will start in February. So there's plenty of opportunities to learn more about this if you're unsure about how it all works. But no matter what you choose to do, choose to do something, right? Consume this book, eat this book. How will you be formed by scripture this year? Make this one of your rhythms as we practice the practice together. Let's pray and then we'll get ready for communion. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of scripture that you have chosen to speak to us through this book and all of its messiness and weirdness and complexity. At the same time, it's so clear in pointing to Jesus, pointing us towards our need for a savior and the good news that we have a savior. We have a king and his name is Jesus. And so we thank you for the gift of all of this and what it means for us. Again, how it points us to the life that you offer us through right relationship with you, the gift of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are grateful for all of this. Uh, help us to commit to reading this book this year. And would you meet us? Would you uh, encounter us in these words as we move through it together. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.